For those of you who come regularly to this service, and I realise tonight there are many friends of those being confirmed who are not regular members, um, you've been working through Mark's Gospel. And tonight the passage that we have in Mark's Gospel follows on, of course, from last week, which was Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. With Peter, James and John, Jesus went up the mount and he was transfigured before them. They saw his majesty and his glory and they were clearly beginning to understand that Jesus is truly who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Saviour of the world. And they saw Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus. And as well as this, they, they were hitting their face and they heard the voice, the voice that came as, as from heaven. And the voice came out from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And then after some time, they turned and they came back down the mountain together. I was looking at a commentary on Mark written by someone who some of you may know his commentaries called Kent Hughes uh, from USA. And Kent Hughes referred to a painting by Raphael, a painting called The Transfiguration. And I thought, okay, I can Google. My wife can Google, I can Google. Okay, I can do this. So I Googled and up I came with the photo of the painting. And it's an extremely, a painting that's quite stark and in your face. As you look at the painting, the first thing you see is Jesus on that Mount of Transfiguration. That's where the eye goes to start off with. That's the centre. And here is Peter, James and John shielding themselves and Elijah and Moses. And the passage that we're now going to look at following straight after is when Jesus and the three come down from the mount and they come and here is the crowd and here is the boy taken by an evil spirit we would have thought maybe a, an epileptic sort of fit that he was having and here are the disciples confused but a couple of the disciples looking up and saying hey maybe there is an answer and pointing up toward the top I thought, I have never done this before, so I hope you don't, uh, I thought you might like to pass that along and, um, and have a look at that uh, while we're looking at the passage together. I, I just thought it just summed up things so well, and I hope as we look at the passage that just as on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is clearly the centre of the whole thing. With the three disciples, their eyes are on Jesus. The images they have of Elijah and Moses, what are they doing? They're talking to Jesus. There is a voice that comes from heaven. What is the voice talking about? It's talking about Jesus, who he is, and the way that we need to respond to him. And I want to suggest to you, as we now look at this passage together, the clear emphasis as we go through the passage is we're constantly pointed to Jesus. Constantly pointed to him. Jesus comes back down with the others. He comes back down and he comes down to the sinful, chaotic world in which we all live. That's exactly what it is, the sinful, chaotic world in which they all live. It, we, we often say that people come back to earth. Have you heard that 
comment where people say, you know, you've been up a bit airy-fairy, about time to come back down to earth. And there's a sense as Jesus comes down from the mountain and here is this crowd and here are they arguing with the scribes and here's the disciples all in confusion. We're back to chaotic world that we know. We're back to chaos and sin. And we read that the other nine who were down there waiting for Jesus, they're surrounded by the crowd and teachers of the law that have come and they're arguing with them, they're arguing with them, they're heckling them. Something has happened that didn't work out. And the authorities, the teachers of the law see this is a wonderful opportunity to put the punch in. Do you know? A wonderful opportunity to have a go at them. And so they're constantly having a go. And the nine of them don't really know what to do or where to go. They're delighted that these disciples have failed. Delighted. It just proves that this Jesus isn't really who he claims to be at all. Do you know? That's, this is the thing they're pushing, of course, these teachers of the law. But then they see Jesus. They see Jesus. And the crowd sees Jesus. And as you read this passage, all of attention, all the eyes turn. And they're focused on Jesus. As you move on through this story, the the, the, the center of attention is, is not the disciples. The center of attention is not even the young boy as you go through this. And the centre of attention most certainly is not the teachers of the law, nor is it the crowd. The centre is Jesus himself. And Jesus stands among them and says, what are you arguing about? It's interesting, the teachers of the law don't jump out and push their point about what the argument's about. Uh, The disciples don't either. It's interesting when you look at this passage. The person who responds to that question is the father of this very sick boy. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit and that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. A man in the crowd, the boy's father. It's a very sad picture of this boy. We're told that a spirit seizes him. We're told in Luke's gospel, Luke and Matthew give us the same episode as as here in Mark that he suddenly screams. I don't know if you've been with someone with a fit and in the midst of the fit they scream. It is just ear-piercing. Extremely scary. It throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He throws him around even toward the fire or the water within the house and he's scarred from those burns. And this same spirit has made him deaf and, and dumb. Kent Hughes just made a little comment about the boy that I thought I'd share with you. He says, this young boy, he could see what was going on around his pathetic body, but he couldn't hear or speak. It's a real picture of us as mankind, isn't it? Being helpless. Um, 
slaves of, of sin and of the evil one. It, it's a picture of this fallen world. And it's a picture of the work of Satan within this fallen world. Satan, the life destroyer. But he said, I asked your disciples to drive the spirit out and they couldn't. And Jesus says, O believing, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. He says, your disciples couldn't do anything. They were not able to help. It wasn't, it, it wasn't because they didn't try. I'm sure the whole nine of them really tried to, to cast out this demon, to cast out this spirit. You see, it's not long before this, in chapter 6 of Mark, that we read this. That Jesus called the twelve to himself and he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. And they went out and preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. It's not as though this was something unknown to them that they'd never been part of. So what what has happened this time? What what, what has caused this? They're asking the why. And Jesus said, oh, unbelieving generation. It was an issue of unbelief. What, what is belief? But belief is determining there is someone or something in whom I can put or on whom I can put my complete trust and confidence. Isn't that what belief is? A personal thing that you feel I can really believe exactly what they say and I can commit my whole life to it. That's how sure it is. Do you know that's how sure it is? Isn't that what belief is? And Jesus said, oh, unbelieving generation. But what had gone wrong here with the disciples? We'll see a little more as we come down through the passage. But as I was thinking and praying about this, it, it seems to me that yes, they'd been sent out before. They had cast out spirits before. They preached the kingdom, repent and believe. People had believed, spirits had been cast out, but this time it wasn't. I wonder, instead of being focused on Jesus and belief and commitment to his gospel, had they become a bit more focused on the process? Had had they, I know how to cast out demons. I know what words to say. I know what to do. So had they become focused on the process? Had they become far more focused on themselves and their own abilities? You know, I'm very thankful that Many years ago, when I was early in ministry, a person pointed me to Samson. And you'd all know the story of Samson. That's one Bible story we all know, isn't it? And it's interesting with Samson that he was, he was one of the judges of Israel. He was a leader in Israel. And he led Israel for many years, a key leader in Israel. And the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And we know of his strength, we know of his physical strength, but he was also called to be the spiritual leader of the people of God. And you remember he was a weak man, got caught up in immorality over and over again, and eventually it came to a point where he got caught up with Delilah. 
And Delilah twisted his arm to find out what was the, the source of his strength. The Philistines want to know how can we subdue him and take over Israel again. Subdue Israel again. And she keeps pestering him. What is the source? And he gives her an idea of my hair was tied together. And then she tells the Philistines, come, I found out the reason. I found out why. You can come and get him. But when the Philistines are there, he jumps up and and throws off the rope and goes out and deals with the Philistines. And this happens about three times. And eventually, though, he, um, when she said, look, this is a mark, you don't really love me. This is how foolish Samson, huh? How foolish. You would have thought the guy would have woken up by now. But no, 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 he hadn't really woken up. What's really going on? And that he tells her is the cutting of the hair. And then we, had some, we have some of the saddest verses in the whole Bible at this particular point because she cuts his hair and she's called the Philistines to come ready to get hold of Samson. And so she says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are here. And the Bible tells us he got up, he shook himself and he went out to deal with the Philistines like he had always dealt with the Philistines. He was a judge in Israel. He knew the job. He did it well. He did it well year after year. He went out to deal with it like he'd always dealt with it. And then you come to this little sad verse. He didn't know the Lord had left him. All of Samson's attention. He carried on like a judge in Israel. He carried on with his ministries. He carried on with everything. Everyone thought he was great. Everyone thought he was wonderful. But the core of his whole being, the core of his whole existence was no longer there. His focus was no longer God. His focus had become his job and himself. I want to suggest, I don't know, but that went through my mind as I was looking at this where they they were there attempting to cast out like they'd done before. And I know this as I look at my own life. It's very easy when you're in ministry, it's very easy in whatever you're doing as you're fulfilling God's plan and purpose for your life to think, I've got hold of it now. You you know, I really don't need the Lord too much now because I've already got all under control, Lord, and I'll just report back to you every so often, do you know, when I need to. Uh, But not really knowing that the centre and the core of your whole ministry and of who you are is not you. It's not your faith. It's not your belief. It's Jesus. And all those things are of no aim, no purpose whatsoever, unless they're all focused and centered in the source of life itself. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says to them, bring the boy to me. And so they brought the boy. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy convulsions to the ground. And this terrible picture that we have. But it's wonderful how Jesus deals with the father. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And from childhood, he says, how long? You notice that as Jesus deals with people, as you read through the gospels, he, he doesn't deal with them as things. Do you, you know, as objects to be worked through. He deals with each one where they are. And the the thing at the heart of the Father 
was that he has been like this all of his life, dear. And that's what's been eating away at the father all those years. Every morning that he woke up, his son was the same. Year after year after year. Every time at the end of the day, the son was the same. Year after year. How long has he been like this, Jesus said. Tell me. Let's enter conversation here. And he says he's been like this from childhood. And then he says, if you can, if you can, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. Everything is possible for him who believes. Have you ever noticed that people talk about having faith and when you stop and think about it, the issue is not how much faith you've got. Whether you've got a ton or two tons or three tons, do you, it, it, all of that's totally irrelevant. And the issue is, do I believe, like I was saying earlier, that, that, that the key issue is not whether you've got belief or not or faith or not. The issue is where the faith and where the belief is placed. That's the issue. And that's what Jesus is working through here with this father and with the disciples and the crowd. He says everything is possible for him who believes. Everything is possible with the one through whom heaven on earth came into existence, the one in whom the whole of the universe is held together, the one in whom he's going to give his life as a ransom for us. How much you have is not the issue. Where it's focused is the issue. Everything is possible where you have focused your faith and your trust. And the Father comes out with, this is just so human is this this not this is just so human he comes and says I do believe help me overcome my unbelief do you know and and can you I, I think if someone stood up amongst us today and said I've been committed to Christ for x number of years and I have never doubted that my faith or Christ once in my life I think we'd tell you to sit down would that be true or not am I I'd say you're having me on, or you're having yourself on, right? We live in a sinful world. We live with all the pressures that are pushing in around us all the time. We we live at a time when our our faith, we want to be committed to Christ, but we're drawn aside to so many other things. We're in a mess, and we know what this guy is saying. Do you know? This guy is saying, "I, I realize my focus needs to be on you. Give me grace. Help me to have a clearer focus of yourself that you alone is where my faith and trust is focused and Jesus rebukes the spirit the boy screams convulses, looks as though he's dead but then here again is the personal touch of Jesus he takes the hand and he lifts the boy up and it's interesting in Luke's gospel, Luke adds the little bit extra he gives the boy 
back to his father. He gives the boy back to his father. Now it doesn't all just end there because Jesus takes the disciples, verses 28, 29. He goes indoors and his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Why weren't we powerful enough is really what the word is there. Why weren't we powerful enough? And Jesus says this kind, this empowerment, comes only through prayer. Believing, praying, Jesus the focus, all fits together here in this episode. What is believing really about and what is praying really about? Believing and praying is really on about relationship. Believing is is hearing the word of someone and believing that word. Praying is entering into conversation with someone. That's what believing and praying, it's about relationship here. Jesus is reminding them this is relationship. He's reminding the disciples that the most important thing for them as his disciples, the most important thing is not the casting out of spirits. The most important thing isn't on the Mount of Transfiguration. The most important is not all the other things that are going to take part in their life. The most important thing is to know that Jesus loves them and knows them. That's the most important. You know, John, when he's writing to the early Christians, says the most important thing is not so much that I love God, but that God, remember, loves me. Loves me. And I think the most important issue that's coming through this passage is that here is Jesus, and here is this one, transformed, transfigured. The one who is the glorious risen, he's going to, as we know him, as the loving, glorious, risen Christ, the risen Saviour. The one who created the world, the one who sustains the world, the one in whom everything on heaven and earth is going to be wrapped up in the end. This is this picture of the, of, of the transfiguration. And to know that this one loves me and longs that we have a very close relationship with him. Isn't that what prayer is? Isn't that what believing is? That should be the core. That should be the centre. It's interesting. With most of the, the epistles, most of the letters that Paul writes that we have in the New Testament, he begins many of them with a prayer. And it's interesting what he prays for in virtually each one of them. He doesn't pray that things will go right today. Do you? He doesn't pray that everything will be fine, something else will happen. Something else, that Every one of them begins with the prayer that the people he's writing to, their knowledge and love of the Lord may grow and increase day by day. That's the focus of Paul's prayer. I wonder if that's the focus of our prayer not only as we pray for ourselves each day, but as we pray for each other. Isn't that what we prayed for our confirmees tonight, is it not? We prayed that they might grow in the grace 
of knowing and loving the Lord Jesus Christ. And as that relationship grows, so they will hear his word and the Holy Spirit will help them to grasp and understand that word and live in the light of that word and bring honour and glory to Christ. That as people look on us, they see Jesus. May that painting be a picture in a sense of us in there, if I could use that word, you know what I mean? That when people look at us, when people look at you, that their focus is not on you, their focus is not on what's going on down here and all the other bits, but the focus is clearly on Jesus because that's where your eyes are. And because that's where your eyes are, that's where their eyes will go, to Christ. And our prayer is especially for our three brothers, three girls and three boys here tonight, our, our focus especially with you tonight and with all of us together, but especially you, that indeed your focus will continue to be on Jesus and your prayer at the beginning of every day will be a prayer of relationship with him and that that relationship will grow and mature each day that the Lord gives you. Let me pray. Father, as we look through this passage, we see the heartache of the Father. We see the frustration of the disciples. We see Peter, James and John just trying to figure out what on earth has just taken place. We see the boy, Jesus, reaching out, taking the boy's hand and raising him up and giving him back to his father. But Father, we see that, that our, focus, our focus needs to be our Lord Jesus. Our belief, our trust, every ounce that we have needs to be focused in him. And so give us grace to reflect the one to whom we claim that we belong. And that is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ himself, in whose name we pray. Amen.